Hello. Hey. Thank you for having me again. And thank you, Tony. That was awesome. So the topic tonight, does God heal today? Um, that's a big question, isn't it? Does God heal today? This is uh, one that I'm sure Christians have an opinion about, non-Christians have an opinion about, lots of people have an opinion because this is one of the big, big ones in Christianity. Um, Gary asked me to give this talk and he gave me some instructions to include some of my story in this talk. And I was a little apprehensive about that, not because I'm embarrassed about my story or anything like that, but it seemed like maybe I was trying to shoehorn in a story of healing in a way that maybe wasn't what we wanted to, where we wanted to go, because it didn't seem like my story had an aspect of physical healing in it. Certainly mental, certainly spiritual, and that's all very important. But if you were to, this is kind of a peek behind the alpha curtain, but if you were to go Google the um, alpha talk outlines or look in the course guide, it is chock full of, of stories of physical healing ranging from the mundane, or like someone's athlete's foot got healed, which I'm sure is awesome, all the way to the uh, amazing, just, you know, blind, a blind woman was healed at, 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 a, at a healing prayer night at alpha. So I felt kind of strange where it's like, yeah, I was, you know, spiritually healed, but I didn't have a story of like, yeah, but I was blind and now I can see, or something was really jacked up in my body and now I'm cured. Um, so I was thinking about this talk. He had asked me several weeks ago to give it. And uh, I realized that my story is kind of like a strange diamond, maybe like a cursed one, like the hope diamond, where if you look at it under the light, there's all these different facets and there's something new to notice in it every time. And I realized that there actually was a story of physical, truly physical healing in it. So I'm excited to tell you about it. I'm gonna start with the story and I'm gonna leave you with a cliffhanger and then we'll dive into the alpha course material. So there we go. So let's rewind a few years uh, to 2011. Uh, there is, here at St. Paul's, they often have healing prayer nights, usually on a Wednesday night. And there's different flavors of this healing prayer night. And if you guys went to the Holy Spirit uh, weekend, it, it follows a very similar format where you can go up for intercessory prayer with somebody who's been trained to do this. And I went to these faithfully, always went to these. And I prayed about the same very exact thing every time that I went. I prayed about the reconciliation of my family. In 2011, at that point, I had been estranged from my parents for about six years. And when I say estranged, I had on and off contact with my dad and my mother, who, to whom he was still married. They still, you know, they were husband and wife. No contact whatsoever. Um, what little contact I had always ended in her yelling at me or telling me that she didn't want me in her life and that she didn't love me, and that she never loved me. Um, I won't necessarily, um, in the context of this talk, get into exactly why that was. Um, but suffice it to say, I was just not what she wanted. Um, any, uh, nothing I could do to please, please her. So she didn't want me in her life anymore. And I had been in lots of therapy about this. I had gone to every prayer night, like I said. I uh, talked to clergy one-on-one. -on -one. I had intercessor, intercessory prayer. And it was always the same thing. Like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why can't we be reconciled? What did I do? What can I do? What, what do I say to her? What do, you know, how do I make this right? So that particular night in 2011, I went up to prayer, uh, to get prayer from Linda, who is uh, Sue's sister and uh, Gary's sister-in-law. My uh, 
nickname for her is God's Ninja, actually, because I'm like, if I'm going to get prayer, I'm going to get prayer from the best prayer in the world. Um, so I, I told her about this, and she'd known the backstory about about all of this. And uh, I said, you know, I called my mom, and she just, like, screamed at me and hung up the phone and told me she never wanted to speak to me again. And um, I am not <laughs> I'm, I'm a religious person, for sure, if that's why I'm here tonight. But um, I'm not what you would call spiritual. Um, in the sense of, I don't often get, like, words of knowledge, I don't get visions, things like that don't often happen to me, but this night, I got a vision, and it was clear as day. The vision was some beautiful spring day, and it wasn't hot, I remember. There was no sweat or gnats or flies or anything like this, so it had to have been heaven, right? So it was this beautiful grass, and there was a table, and on this table was this huge feast, and I remember specific foods. There was all this, my mother is Japanese. There were Japanese foods and there were American foods. It was like Thanksgiving over here and rice and all kind, just all kinds of stuff. And at, gathered around the table was my whole family. So it was me and my brother and my mom and my dad and my grandma and all of these people. And at the head of the table was Jesus. For some reason wearing a plaid flannel shirt. I don't know where that came from, but that was very distinctly in the vision. And we were all just having the best time. And I came away from this vision, just ugly crying tears. I'm like, it's going to happen. Jesus is promising me that me and my family are going to be reconciled. So let's fast forward a year, 2012. So a whole year has passed since I've had this vision. And it was another healing prayer night here at St. Paul's. This particular time, I was playing, I was asked to play guitar. There was usually music in the background. So I was on the, on the team of musicians. And uh, as a result, I didn't have my phone with me. I'd left my phone behind the stage here. When I got back to my phone, I had uh, probably a thousand missed calls, as many missed calls as you can have. Text just blowing up my phone, and I don't often, not like that. I, I was like, something must be very wrong, and indeed something was. The text that was most recent on my phone was from my brother, and it said, are you coming to the hospital? It's like, oh my goodness. So I scrolled through the text, called my brother, come to find out my mother, who I hadn't laid eyes on in seven years, they haven't physically seen each other in seven years, was in the hospital, and uh, they were summoning me to be there. So I'm going to leave you with that cliffhanger. What happens next? We're going to get right into the talk materials. So healing. There's, there's three different ways that we're going to talk about it tonight. There's a uh, we're going to talk about healing in the Bible. We're going to establish what scripture says about healing. We're going to talk about it in the early church, and then we're going to talk about what happens today. So um, in the Old Testament, God establishes throughout the whole entire New Testament that it's part of his identity to heal. It's part of his love for us. Healing is something that happens as part of God's identity. There's tons of stories of miraculous healing work in there. And then when we get to the New Testament, we see it just exponentially unfold tons and tons of healing happening but in order to understand what this healing was all about i have to give you a little bit of context about jesus's ministry on earth so um let's turn to page 744 i'm going to turn to it too actually yeah go for it So this is uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, so 744, while, while these are being passed out. The Gospels are essentially 
telling from different angles the story of Jesus's uh, time here on earth. So you get you get different sorts of uh, takes on what's going on uh, with with Jesus. So this is in, like I said, Mark chapter one, verse 15. Uh, that uh, that uh, verse goes like this. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So something, some phrase about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is used 82 times in the first three gospels. There's four gospels, and in the first three, it's used 82 times. So it's a very important thing that Jesus is drawing our uh, attention on. Um, I'm going to get, it's going to be nerd alert time for just a second, but this, this all, is all going to pan out here. So the reason why Jesus keeps saying this, why he keeps saying the kingdom of, of heaven is near or the kingdom of God is near, is because in traditional Jewish thinking about the Messiah, which Jesus is, so when, when, when Jewish folks at that time thought about the Messiah, what they envisioned was a, a warrior coming to usher in a new age. So when this age ends, the Messiah happens, and the new age immediately begins. It's a hard stop. Jesus, however, is telling us something different. So what he is saying is, we have this age. Jesus comes. This age doesn't end. He's still in it with us at, the, at this age. But the age to come overlaps. So if you imagine two lines, there's an overlap here where this age continues on and the age to come keeps going on. The end of this age happens with Jesus' second coming, and he establishes that over the course of time um, in, in the New Testament. Um, the reason I'm telling you this is because it's very important in the context of understanding healing that Jesus is doing. So we're in the age of the fallen world. This age is the age where we are mortal, where we die, where we have suffering, where we have illness, where uh, we see our loved ones suffer. But the age to come is the age of heaven. This is the age where everything is made new again and the creation is restored and we won't have a need for healing anymore. So we're living in this at times uncomfortable spot between, not between, but at the same time, they're on top of one another, this age and the age to come. So when Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is near, he's, he's meaning that it's, it's interwoven into our daily lives. It's interwoven. So we'll see awful things and we'll see glorious things and it's all happening at once. I have permission to tell this story. I'm going to tell a story about my husband, Luke. Uh, so Luke's dad is, uh, he's got multiple sclerosis, and he is wheelchair-bound. He's very disabled. And he was diagnosed in the 80s, late 80s or so. Uh, he thought that he wasn't going to be alive. He didn't think he would live to see Luke get married, see his daughter get married, see us have kids, any of those things. Um, so there's that. But then there's also this notion of, like, well, of course people prayed for him. He, he went to church. He you know, Luke prayed for him all the time, and Luke will say, he's like, I never understood why I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and it never happened. How come my dad isn't healed? Um, that's the big elephant in the room, isn't it, when we talk about healing. Why do we pray, and people get healed, and why do we pray, and people not get healed? What's the rhyme or reason to this? I wish I had a really, like, succinct answer for you, but it's twofold. The Apostle Paul talks about it, and you don't need to turn to it, but in, the letter, in, his letters to the, in his letter to the Romans, there's a part where he says, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. 
So he's talking about that, talking about that notion of we live in, we live in two ages at the same time. We live in the, the age we're in and the age to come. So it kind of sucks. It does. But let's not forget what Jesus has really promised us is no matter how much you pray for healing or how much healing is happening to you, we're still all going to be, we're still, we're still all going to die, to be, to be quite, uh, quite frank about it. But Jesus has promised us eternal life above all. That's something we all get. We don't have to pray for that. We don't have to do anything to receive that. That is a promise to us. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily like the best way to put it, but I think really the best way to frame it is to say, with those two ages overlapping each other, the instances that we see of healing are the, are the ways in which heaven is breaking into our, into our earth right now. Um, I'll get more into prayer and how healing happens through prayer in a moment. Sorry, Gary, <laughs> you're like furrowed brow. But um, all right. So to get into Jesus's actual healing ministry, 25% of the Gospels, or so, 25% of the Gospels deal specifically with Jesus's healing ministry. So let's turn to um, 7:19. This is Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 4, verse 23 on. That's the second column of 719. It says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So here Matthew is telling us what Jesus did. And this goes on in chapter 4. There's multiple instances of Jesus healing somebody. In the following chapters, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, Matthew tells us more about the nature of Jesus' ministry. This is where we get the Sermon on the Mount, among other things. And then in chapter 9, if you were to flip ahead to page 724, chapter 9, verse 35, we get essentially the exact same words again. We get Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So that's rhetorically interesting because Matthew is using a, a device, a rhetorical device called inclusio. Um, basically what it is is it's verbal punctuation to say, I'm telling you about Jesus' healing ministry and now I'm done telling you about Jesus' healing ministry. So it, it's our signal to look at what's coming next. What's ahead here? What, what's, what's gonna happen next with his followers? What's Jesus gonna do next? The next thing that Jesus does is he tells his disciples to do it. So if we uh, flip it, well, actually, never mind. You don't need to flip ahead. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus tells his disciples, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And then we see a retelling of this in, in Luke. I'll just read it to you. Um, we'll, we'll do some more page flipping later. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So then we've got, so Jesus was doing the healing. Now the disciples are doing the healing. And then if we go, go further on, um, if y'all want to, you could turn to seven, uh, 772. This is Luke chapter 10. He expands it out to more people. He says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So now we've got 72 people doing healing. 
and it continues on. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. So this kingdom of God's on top of this age, and now we can heal. And then in Matthew 28, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So it starts with Jesus, disciples, 72 people, everybody. And then after the Gospels, we get a whole other book of the Bible called Acts, which is probably the most aptly named Bible book there is because it's about the acts of Jesus's followers. And in those acts are blind people being cured and all kinds of um, instances of demons being driven out, healing occurring. So it's these concentric circles of healing, starting with Jesus and moving outward. Um, In early church history, even beyond uh, the scope of, of the book of Acts, early Christian thinkers documented that healing was one of the major missions of the early church. I'll give you uh, just a couple of examples here. Um, Irenaeus, who was the Bishop of Gaul, he's writing in the second century AD says, others still heal the sick by laying their hands on them and they're made whole. Um, We have another instance with St. Augustine of Hippo, which I think he's writing in the third century AD. I did not write it down for some reason. Um, He has a book called The City of God and it says, even now miracles are wrought in the name of Christ and he goes on to list example after example of the ways in which people are being healed through Christ. So it's kind of easy sometimes to be bummed out about early Christian history. Um, I think of the Inquisition and things like that. But one of the things that I think as an institution we can be very proud of is that the early church established um, us as being a healing force in the world by establishing hospitals, establishing homes for the indigent. I think of Mother Teresa and her work in Calcutta. Um, even in recently in um, Eastern Africa, it was the missionaries who were in the Ebola-stricken lands and not governments and not states. So I think that that's something that we can take away as a logistical and real and tangible um, outpouring of Jesus' love on earth is the way in which we, we minister to, to those who are dying of very deadly diseases. We put ourselves right there in the front line. All right, so healing today. I have a very long quote that I will read to you that I think sums it more succinctly than I am able to. This is um, a quote, I'm gonna butcher his name, but it's um, Raniero Cantilla Mesa. This guy is the preacher to the papal household. So this means he is the only ordained clergyman who is able to preach to the Pope. And he has been such since 1980. So that's John Paul II, uh, um, Benedict, and Francis. So three popes this guy has been the preacher to. And he, this, is, this is something that he said about healing. Today, we have two ways to face up to the problem of ill health, the way of human nature and the way of grace. By human nature in this sense, encompasses science and technology and all our resources. In short, all that we have received from God in creation and all that we have developed from that by using our intelligence. But then there's the second way, Grace, which indicates faith and the prayers by which, as God may will, we sometimes obtain healings in a way that goes beyond the scope of human resources. Against disease and ill health, a Christian cannot be satisfied to use only the facilities of nature, to set up hospitals or work alongside with the structures of the state to provide care and comfort. Christians have a very special power of their own given to them by Christ. He gave the authority to cure every disease and every sickness. 
it would be an omission to fail to have recourse to this power and so fail to hold out hope, especially to those to whom science denies all hope. So I guess another way to put that in, in sort of a short form is if we don't pray, nobody gets healed. If we pray for everyone, then some people get healed, but not everyone. So again, this all ties up into those big, big questions about life. Why, why is there suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? All of these questions. And I don't want to give you the impression at all that if somebody doesn't get healed, if you pray for somebody and somebody doesn't get healed, I don't want you to think that it's because you didn't pray enough or they didn't pray enough or they didn't read the Bible enough or you didn't or you didn't go to church enough or you did that thing one time. Um, I'm going to come back around to a point that I kind of tried to make earlier and sort of fell flat on, but there isn't any amount of prayer we can do to keep ourselves from dying. Dying is going to happen to all of us, maybe sooner or maybe later. But the reason why we can be confident that our prayers of healing will, will work sometimes and sometimes not is because we know we already have eternal life, even if the worst happens, even if we don't get healed, even if something that we want so badly to happen doesn't happen, we can rest assured that we are saved through Christ and that we're all going to be reunited with each other and with God. So I want you to take that away more than anything. It's a very squidgy place to be to say, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and it didn't happen. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't. I, I wish I could tell you exactly why. I don't know why. But we do know for a fact that we are saved through Jesus and we know for a fact that he has promised us eternal life. All right, cliffhanger time. So I left you with uh, a vision I had of plaid Jesus heaven feast. That was what I wrote in my notes <laughs> just now. Um, so plaid Jesus heaven feast, and then a year later, still hasn't ha I still haven't had plaid Jesus heaven feast, and I'm wondering why I prayed about this, and my mom still hates me, and I don't understand. And uh, so April 2012, had this healing prayer. I had all these texts in my phone. We got to back up a month. I omitted some information intentionally. So in March of 2012, I actually was in my apartment and I was hosting a bunch of people at my house for a, we were having a business meeting about having an off-campus alpha. We did that a couple years ago. And I was with Mike Lumpkin, he was in my house, um, having dinner and my phone rang and it was my dad. And I just watched it ring and I thought that can't be good. Whatever it is he's got to tell me can't be good. And I let it go to voicemail, but it was just gnawing on me. So finally I excused myself and I said, Mike, my dad's called me and it's never good. And please like just uh, talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to be right back and figure out what my dad needs. So my dad, my dad picked up the phone and he said, well, I'm sorry to bother you, but I wanted to let you know that your mom's been sick. I said, sick how? And he said, well, she, she'd been sick. We, don't, we didn't know what it was, but we finally got a doctor that figured it out. She has a virus, and the virus is called HTLV-1. And he said, you need to go to your doctor, and you need to get tested for the same virus because it is a sexually transmitted disease. She got it from her mother. Her mother got it. It's endemic in Japan, but it's very rare here. Um, to give you a notion of, of what this virus is, it is HIV used to be called HTLV-3. So I've been told that my mother has HTLV-1. Now I need to go get tested for this, and I could spread it to 
anybody. Like it's just, you know, it, it was it was one of those things like you need to call every fourth thing ever. I wasn't a Christian my whole life, so anyway. Um, so, uh, so I was looking at some very awkward phone calls. Um, but my dad didn't know at the time, but I did, that I was pregnant with my son Oscar. So in addition to having to be tested, I was looking at now I've maybe given my son a virus I didn't even know I had. And maybe I gave it to Luke. And maybe I can't have kids or shouldn't have kids. I, I, don't, I didn't know what I was looking at. So I got tested, and I tested negative for it, as did my brother, as did my father. And that's the equivalent of somebody who is HIV positive, not passing it to their husband, and not passing it to their children. Like, that is insane. And that's the story of physical healing in this that I had missed when I wasn't considering it before, the fact that I don't have this. To give you an idea, in Japan, it's if you have it, you pretty much gave, gave it to everybody if you didn't know that you had it at the time. Um, my aunt, my mom's sister, has it, gave it to her husband, and gave it to all of her kids. Um, in Japan, it's transmitted usually from mother to child. That's how the disease gets transmitted. transmitted. So it's, um, yeah, it's, not, it's, no, it's no bueno. This virus, um, for some people, doesn't do anything. You can live forever with it um, for some people. And other people, it turns into a very aggressive form of leukemia called um, adult T-cell leukemia, and it's fast and it's fatal. So spoiler alert, my mom was diagnosed with this, like, when I got the phone call at the healing prayer night, and she was dead three weeks later from it. It was like cancer and then immediate death. There's nothing for it. You can't take, there's nothing. You can't do anything. So after I went to the hospital to see her, it was very awkward. It was an awkward thing. What do you say to someone you haven't seen in seven years? She's lying there in a hospital bed. My mother lost her ability to speak as the three weeks went on. And so she would write notes to my dad. And I was actually barred from seeing her at the hospital by my doctor because I was pregnant and she didn't want me around in a cancer ward with, you know, all kinds of different drug-resistant diseases. So I would call in, call in often and my dad would call and tell me, give me the updates or whatever. So my mom would leave these notes and very unlike her super lovey-dovey notes, like, will you tell, tell Bob I love, that's my brother, tell Bob I love him, tell Jimmy I love her, tell the dog I love her, and you know, just things that, I guess when you're coming to the end of your life, you want to communicate. So my dad wouldn't tell me every note that was written because she was writing a lot of them, but he called me uh, one night to tell me, like, your mom wrote the strangest note. I just thought I just needed to share it with you. And the note was, I wish we could all get together for one last big feast. So my dad tells me this and thinks it's kind of, he's like, that's kind of funny, you know, as funny as a situation like this can be. I'm like immediately ugly crying, hang up the phone. Because um, he doesn't, he didn't know the story. He didn't know what that was. But I know that that was for me. Like that was a message to, to me that, that, yeah, the plaid Jesus heaven feast didn't happen here on earth. My mom died and it never happened. But it's going to. It's going to. I don't know how. I don't know exactly what the mechanism is, and I don't know what was going on with my mom when she died. I was nervous for her um, because she seemed so willfully uh, un unwilling to receive love and receive forgiveness from anybody. But somehow Jesus has assured me that it's going to be fine, that plaid Jesus' heaven feast is going to happen. All right, I want to read scripture to y'all. If you'd like to turn to it, you can. It's 747. This is Mark chapter 5. 
verse 24. And when I think about healing prayer, it's this woman that I think about. I see myself in her. I think everybody can, can relate to her. So 747, this starts in the second column, chapter, Mark chapter 5, verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, yet, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So I don't know what your equivalent of a plaid Jesus headpiece is. Um, I think everybody's got one at some point in their lives. I would just really commend to you to, to give the healing prayer a try. Um, this woman prayed for 12 years, or sought healing for 12 years, and finally um, touched Jesus' clothes. She didn't ask him for it. She just touched him. It's like, oh, if I just touch his clothes, maybe, 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 maybe. If no one prays for healing, then no one is healed. But if we pray for healing for everyone, then somebody somewhere will be healed. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Gary, I think. Um, as far as getting started on the, on the healing prayer, but it took me lots, lots of healing prayer. And it finally, it finally got there. It finally got there. So I just urge you to give it a try. And thank you guys for having me again. Thank you very much. <laughs>